0: to 1 Samuel chapter 18. There are Bibles under many of your chairs as well if you want to grab one of those. Uh, You're also welcome to use your smartphone. If you want to look up the scripture that way. And to get us started today, I want to start with this. Today we're going to play a game because we have a church picnic today. It's game time, baby. All right. So we're going to play a game as we start off today. And so what I'm going to do is here in a minute, I'm going to put a picture on the screen. It's of a person, a character, or a thing. And I want you to shout out and tell me what goes with that thing. Okay. Uh, And you'll catch it as we do it. All right. So here's the first one. The first one is Batman. What goes with Batman? Batman. Robin. So good right there. Of course, that's the old school. Some of you young folks are going, that's not Batman, right? That is the ba- that is Batman. That is Batman and Robin. Okay, Batman and Robin. Next one will come up. Uh, Bert. Ernie. Bert and Ernie, which I think they're like related somehow, cousins or something like that, but Bert and Ernie, uh, Sesame Street go together. Uh, next one, peanut butter jelly. I actually told the first service, I, I, feel, I feel really saddened by those of you that may have a peanut allergy because peanut butter is just like from, it is like what God has given us uh, from heaven to earth in peanut butter. Uh, so peanut butter and jelly. Uh, next one. Chandler. Joey. Joey. Good job. First service, I messed it up and said Joey. I gave the answer before I gave the, yeah. Was, so Chandler and Joey, best friends. Okay. And then uh, this last one is Woody. Buzz Lightyear, all right? Uh, Of course, the movie just came out. And so, uh, great job playing the game this morning, all right? I know it's a a little early, a little lively. Joe's shaking his head at me, going, Matt, what are you doing? All right? Uh, And so, uh, I use that to start today to illustrate an idea, okay? And the idea is this the idea of dynamic duos right? There's something in in this world, a dynamic duo. Of course, some of you know what they are. And so just in case that you don't, I went to a really reliable source on the internet, urbandictionary.com. And (laughs) this is what a dynamic duo is. Two people who do anything and everything together. And when they are together, they dominate anything and everyone. They dominate because they are together. Because they do something or they did something together, they dominate. And I think that's significant. So jumping in today, if you can track with me, we are starting a series that we're going to actually take us through the rest of the summer today called Rooted, Success Stories for a Relationally Bankrupt Society. And if you've been around Cornerstone over the last couple of months, you've been around me the last couple of months, you've probably heard me use the phrase that I think we're living in the most relationally bankrupt society that we've ever lived in ever. And it's because we have this false sense of connectedness from social media, from uh, texting and technology and all those, those kinds of things. And I think we, most of the time, a good chunk of the time, many of us are living relationally empty. And, and so um, what we're seeing in our culture right now is that we're seeing and experiencing things that we never thought that we would see and experience. I'm looking at Jim I'm thinking, you probably never thought 30 years ago that we'd be seeing some of the things that we're seeing in our culture, right? And and, and I think what's happening is in our culture is because we've shifted so much to this technology thing and this false sense of of relational connectedness that really what's driving some of this negativity is a desire in each one of us to know and be known. To, to have a relational a connection with other human beings and ultimately God. And so to that end, in an effort to find some footing in a culture in which things are kind of messy and don't make a whole lot of sense, we, I thought we would go over the next several weeks into the Bible, which, by the way, when things are messy and don't make sense, going to the Bible is a good thing. Right? And so... Trying to figure out what are some of the dynamic duos in the Bible, some success stories, if you will, that we can learn from and and see what they did, see what they avoided, see what things that that were in their lives that ultimately then maybe will help us be better in our culture today. Because every single one of us, right, we would like to have dynamic duo type of relationships, right, whether that's uh, at work and uh, with your coworkers and being a great team, right, or actually having a great relationship with your boss. How many of you would actually like to have a great relationship with your boss, that would be good, right? Right, or or at home, right? Like um, uh, with our with our family and our, our siblings, or or maybe with friends, knowing that you always have somebody has your back, or or like in a marriage relationship, having a dynamic dual kind of marriage, because right, nobody starts a marriage going, well, I can't wait till this ends, <laughs> right? We actually want it to be, so it would be great if we could get to a place, right, where we can learn some of these things. And I think some great things from the people that we're going to look at over the next several weeks that we can learn some really, really great things. And so I want to give you an idea of where we're headed over the next couple weeks. So today, July 21st, is the start of our series. I'll tell you where we're going to head in just a moment on that. Uh, Next week, we're going to do a uh, message called Rooted in the Workplace. And I just mentioned that it would be really good for us to actually have a dynamic duo with our boss. And so uh, we're going to look at uh, two guys, Paul and Barnabas. We looked at them a couple of weeks ago when Stephanie Stanger and I taught. and We looked at their miraculous exit from jail and and those kind of things. But we're going to look deeper into their work relationship. So I think this will be super crucial for your work life. Uh, August 4th is uh, Rooted in Loving the Unlovable. And we're going to talk about Hosea and his wife, Gomer. And I'm a little nervous and excited about that one, because if you know that story, it was pretty messy. It was pretty darn messy, and yet I think there's some really amazing things from Hosea that we can learn. And so I'm nervous but excited for that one, so make sure you're here for that. Uh, August 11th, we're going to be rooted in living a legacy, and we're going to talk about Timothy and his mom Eunice. And uh, I think there's a great uh, development of a relationship there, something that I think we can all really capture and, and uh, jump into as well. Um, but I'm really also excited about that message because that weekend we're going to have a guest speaker come, uh, Kent Butcher, who is the lead pastor at the Syracuse Vineyard Church in Syracuse. He's going to be coming and teaching that weekend. Um, and uh, he's our area leader for the, uh, the vineyard movement in northern Indiana. And so he, I asked him if he would come and he would. So I think it's going to be really great for us to be under his teaching for that morning. And then two more, August 18th, rooted in diligent duty. And we're gonna talk about Ruth and Naomi uh, in, in the Old Testament. And then finally, we'll end the series on August 25th, rooted in desperate dependence. And we're gonna talk about the story of Esther. And I love the story of Esther and ultimately the relationship between Esther and Mordecai. And uh, so please, please, please prioritize being here each week. I think there's some really meaty, great things that each one of us can grab out of this series over the next couple of weeks, really pushing us into a really great fall season. And so um, for today's topic, uh, I wanted to actually to, to lead us into our discussion today. I'm gonna to show you a video clip. So take a look at this and they'll jumpstart our conversation today. I love you, man. I love you too, bud. I love you, dude. I love you, bro Montana. I love you, Holmes. I love you, broseph goibles. I love you, Machacha.
1: I love you, Tico Brohe.
0: Okay. Okay. All right. Let's uh, okay. continue here. All right. Let's, uh, this is getting a little awkward now. All right. Let's, right? I, I love that video clip. I love you, bro. I love you, Holmes. I, lo- I love the whole, I love you, bro, Montana, right? Makes me bring back some Joe Montana stuff from my childhood. And so I jumpstart the conversation today with that because what that video embodies is where we're going to head today. Uh, what those two guys were talking about was brotherly love. Having having brotherly love, and today uh, we're going to look at a friendship uh, that uh, kind of our first success story, if you will, in the scripture uh, for our Relationally Bankrupt Society between two guys who I think their relationship is one to model, and uh, it's a guy named David who, if you know David, he was a guy after God's own heart, which I'd like to be a guy known as that, and he was David and, and his buddy Jonathan. And uh, before we look at their story, I wanted to give you a couple of scriptures about this idea of brotherly love, Um, because if you don't know, it's something we're supposed to look for, pursue, press into, and find in life. And so Romans 12, 10 says, love one another with brotherly affection. You can put sisterly in there as well. Outdo one another in showing honor. So not only are we supposed to love brotherly and sisterly, but we're actually supposed to outdo each other in the process of it as well. And then Hebrews 13.1, let uh, brotherly love continue. So just let it continue on and on and on. And then finally, John 13.35, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I don't know about you, but I want to be more of a disciple of Jesus. And what that says is that to be more of a disciple, people will know that and I will actually walk farther down that path if I love one another. You see what David and Jonathan modeled, uh, followed ultimately what the, is what they had been. And ultimately what I'm going to suggest today, what we all have been called to do. Press in and let brotherly love continue. Let, uh, to live a life relationally rich rather than relationally bankrupt and poor. And I think there's some great keys in what we'll look at today that we'll reveal. Why and how and help us get more uh, rooted in 2019. Because right, this is the whole series. We want to be rooted we want, we want to actually be better to tomorrow than we were today, next week than we were this week. So we're going to take a look at this story, which is found throughout the chapters of the book of 1 Samuel. Uh, and because it's spread many times in, in the Old Testament, uh, these stories are spread between several chapters. And so we're going to look at different uh, excerpts today. It's not going to flow very into one, like four or five verses. Uh, so we're going to be jumping around just so you know. Um, but before we jump into a little bit of context uh, about what we're going to read, so a focus of our conversation is about David and Jonathan. Uh, but in this story, there's also a guy named Saul. And he it's uh, King Saul, right? He's the king. And uh, it's actually Jonathan's dad, all right? And essentially, uh, he has invited David uh, into their house after he uh, uh, was uh, conquered Goliath, okay? He invited him to live because he's like, dude, this dude's awesome. I want him to a part of my life and in our, our kingdom and all those kind of things. But then, right, there's this uh, kind of this Bad thing that happens because all the people are like, they're noticing how amazing David is. And so they're like, ooh, you know, Saul, he kills thousands, but David kills tens of thousands. And so Saul starts to get really jealous and, and starts, ooh, like, this ain't good. This guy's going to take over. And so now and then he's plotting to kill David. He wants David uh, dead because he's, he's afraid of what's going to happen. But the cool part of the story is that because of Jonathan and David's friendship, it intervenes, it rises up, and it changes the outcome of the entire story. And so uh, let's look at it starting uh, in 1 Samuel 18 in verse 1. It says, After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to his family. So he kept him in his house. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the, off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. This is a pretty big deal. Like this is a significant connection between these two guys. But see, then jealousy begins to set in in Saul. Skip to chapter 19. So Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David. But Jonathan had taken a liking to David and warned him, my father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you. Be on your guard tomorrow morning. Go into hiding and stay there. Skip to chapter 20. The day after tomorrow, toward evening, go and wait by the stone easel. I will shoot three arrows to the side of it as though I were shooting at a target. Then I will send a boy and say, Go find the arrows. If I say to him, Look, the arrows are on the side of you, bring them here, then come, because as surely as the Lord lives, you are safe and there is no danger. But if I say to the boy, Look, the arrows are beyond you, then you must go, because the Lord has sent you away. Verse 35. In the morning, Jonathan went out to the field for his meeting with David. He had a small boy with him. And he said to the boy, run and find the arrows I shoot. As the boy ran, he shot an arrow behind him. When the boy came to the place where Jonathan's arrow had fallen, Jonathan called out after him, isn't the arrow beyond you? And then finally, verse 42. Jonathan said to David, go in peace, for we are sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying the Lord is witness between you and me, between your descendants and my descendants forever. Then David and Jonathan went back to town. And so our title today is Rooted in Brotherly Love. And what we're going to do today is we're going to take a look at two keys uh, to having a bond like David and Jonathan. See, the outcome, their bond, it made it so that David didn't die. And so uh, I'm excited to, to, to pr- uh, press into this so that we can, as, a, as a individuals and collectively as a church, we can press in, uh, pursue and experience more brotherly love among us and in our lives. And uh, just so you're aware of what's going to happen today as well, so you're not surprised later, I will be having Erin Simpson, who's up here in the front row. She's going to help, help me teach today. So she'll be coming up and doing point two as well. And so before we jump in too deep, I'm going to pause and pray. Uh, because we're starting a brand new series, I'm going to invite you to stand and we're going to pray not only about today, but we're going to pray about the next couple of weeks. If you came with somebody you like, you want to grab their hand, you can do that. If you came and you're sitting next to somebody you don't like, you can grab their hand, too, anyway. All right? All right, but let's, let's pray together. So, Father, I just want to thank you uh, again today for an ability to meet in this place and do what we're doing. We know that there are places all over the world where meetings like this would not even be possible to have. And so we're just grateful today to be able to worship you, to be together in spirit and truth and freedom. And God, now that as we uh, jump into this teaching today and ultimately the next several weeks in this series, God, we just ask for your Holy Spirit's wind and just to come and put wind in the sails, God, uh, of what we're trying to accomplish over the next couple of weeks. We don't wanna just do things because we want to do things. We want to do things because you want us to learn new things. And so God, I pray that you would make our, our hearts, our minds, our souls sticky and supernatural things would stick to us. God, we would be more like Jesus as a result of our time together, more like these success stories that we're gonna take a look at over the next several weeks. And it would not just affect us, God, but it would affect our marriages. It would affect our homes. It would affect our workplaces. It would affect our schools. It would affect the way that we carry ourselves in our community for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, we ask that you would not allow us to waste time together each morning. God, we really come and just invite you. And we are saying, welcome, God. We do what you will with us over the next several weeks. God, be with every teacher that's gonna teach everything that's gonna happen, God, that it would be all to your glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, thanks for standing. You can take a seat. All right, so we have two points today. Here's your first one. You can write it in on your handout. A bond like David and Jonathan takes unparalleled selflessness. unparalleled selflessness. I, I took notice in this story when I began to read it, even in my own personal Bible time over the last couple of months, uh, especially again this week as I was studying it in this relationship, in this friendship, at least for Jonathan, right? Being selfish, getting what he wanted really wasn't on the table at all, right? He knew that David was in trouble and he was going to do whatever it took to help David. I mean, at one point, like he's even having a conversation with his dad, Saul, and he's going, why do you, why do you not like David so much? And, and Saul throws a spear at him and tries to kill him. And yet he was still continuing to press in to do whatever it took for David. And the reason is, as we see it in the text, in verse 3, 18:3 3 says, and Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Talk about brotherly love. I mean, he loved him as himself. You can't really get further down the love scale on that, right? I mean, it, 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 essentially, right, it makes sense why he would do, have done anything for David because really, it, if you would have done it for yourself, he was going to do it for David. And it was present because, see, they made a pact, right? They, they, they made an agreement. It says, essentially, uh, that, that, Jonathan made a covenant and agreement with David. Essentially, I thought about it like this this week. Essentially, they became what I, uh, back when I was in elementary school, people would become uh, blood brothers. You guys remember that? You know, somewhere like, where somebody would like prick their finger and you prick their finger and then you put your two fingers together. It was kind of gross, all right? And, uh, but then you were bonded for life, right? Did anybody do that, by the way? Yeah, I, we to, I totally did, right? And, and, and I did that with my, my buddy Adam when I was in elementary school. But here's the difference between when I did it with Adam because I don't even talk to Adam anymore, right? I, I didn't really mean that with Adam. At the time, maybe I thought I did, but I was, a, you know, just a young kid. But see, for David and, and Jonathan, they did this blood brother thing, and they really meant it. They were going to stick with each other through thick and thin, through good and bad, no matter what it took. E- even to the point where that, the reason we read this part of the story, even this whole like weird, like, hey, let me shoot these arrows by the rock craziness and all that. Doesn't even really make, they were like, well, okay, it doesn't really make sense, but we're going to stay together. So what, they, they became what I would, I've heard people refer to each other as, as mafia friends. You ever heard of mafia friends? Uh, essentially mafia friends, right? They will do, it's like, they will do whatever it takes, you know, like whatever it takes, whatever it takes, right? They'll do whatever it takes, no matter what, right? Through thick and thin, whenever, whatever they're they're to get, whatever's needed, whenever you say, essentially they're going to say, all right, I want you to jump. You say how high and they do the same for you. It's mafia friends. I was reminded this week of a, um, and this, I know you guys are going to think I'm weird, but uh, track with my mindset. I know it's going to be hard for you, but all right. <laughs> so track with me for a minute. All right. I was reminded of a Friends episode. If, you, uh, if you're not a Friends watcher, Lee and I, we pretty much live our life through Friends quotes, uh, pretty much. And so I was reminded of an episode of Friends where uh, Ross uh, and Rach, you can bring that picture up, Ross and Rachel are in an argument and then she gets mad and then there's this cup of fat that was, uh, like the, the Monica had uh, basically gotten off some meat and things like that. And so essentially to show Rachel that he was sorry for yelling at her, uh, he, he says that he will drink the fat. So she will go to an award ceremony with him. How many of you, that's kind of gross, right? But he was willing to do it. He was willing to, and actually later in the story, uh, it's kind of a weird, sound weird circumstances, but actually Chandler ends up actually drinking the fat for Joey. And so again, track with me for a minute, right? How many of you know that if we actually literally think about that when it comes to selflessness, like it, it'd be, it's kind of like drinking the fat for somebody else in life. But being willing to do it no matter what. How many of you also know that that's not easy to do? But see, Jonathan, and what we learn from this this, this story of David and Jonathan, that he was willing to do it even to the point where his dad was going to kill him with a spear. That's significant. And it's something that we're supposed to chase after. James 13, 16 says, this is a phenomenal verse, by the way, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find, this is a guarantee, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. That does not sound like the life you want or I want. 1 Corinthians 10, 24, no one should seek their own good, but the good of others. I don't know about you, but I am, I have great moments. I have great times of this, but overall I'm generally not great at selflessness. Most people know Matt as the my way or the highway kind of guy. But see, the story of David and Jonathan and verses like we just read makes me want to do the work out of trying to get better. And it's going to take work. And so here's a question for you to consider. Come up on the screen. Is there anyone in my life I should be drinking the fat for? I know it's kind of gross to think about. But really, is there anybody in your life that you should be drinking the fat for? Is it your boss? Is it your, is it your sibling? Is it your spouse? Is it your kids? Is it your neighbor who keeps like killing your flowers? Who do you have to drink the fat for? I think it's a good question for us to consider. I know it is, as I was pondering it this week, even in the first service, I was pondering that. Like, yeah, God, like, who is it that I'm, I'm doing that with that I need to do that better with? Some of you know this about me, but I'm, I'm a cyclist. I like to go biking, and um, I actually haven't done it a lot over the last couple of years because of uh, moving and house projects and the ch- church plant. And this is a picture of Lee and I from a couple years ago. But there's this thing in biking uh, known as drafting, all right, and there will be another picture that will come up on the screen. And, and drafting, what you try to do when you draft, when you're on a, on a group bike ride, is you try to get as close as you can, see the similarities between David and Jonathan, as close as you can to the, someone else's back tire within inches. And, and what happens is when you get that close and you're going, you know, 15, 16 miles an hour down the road on a road bike, what it does is the back person, their bike ends up getting pulled forward by the person in front of them. And so for our point here today, here's what I would say. I think that we need to, like Jonathan did, we need to often more, more often take the lead. We need to do the hard work of pulling somebody else forward. At least I know I do. When I was on a 40-mile bike ride a couple years ago, uh, I remembered, like, this was the first time I experienced, experienced this drafting thing. And I, and I got really close to it. Some, uh, the couple was on a tandem bike. And I got really close to them. And it was amazing to me. Like, I didn't even really have to pedal all that much. And my bike was just being pulled forward. And then later in, in the bike ride, I actually got in front and I did the hard work. And I let somebody else draft behind me. It's a great tactic when you're getting tired. And I think... It felt really good. And and I I was kind of putting those two parallels together and I'm thinking, yeah, see, that's what we need to be like in our lives. But the question is, I can know how to draft, but how do I practically engage it in life? And so I got a couple practical things for you can write down on your handout. Um, And here's your first one is take a step back. I think we need to take a step back. What I mean by that is... um, how many of you know that the world doesn't revolve around you? How many of you know, though, that the, the world doesn't revolve around me, but oftentimes I act like it does? I'm sure I'm the only one in the room. <laughs> See, I, I, I think that, yes, it's our life, but, folks, it's not our world, right? We are the star of our life, but the, the reality is, is nobody wants a mo- to watch a movie that stars only one person the supporting cast in a movie oftentimes is what gives the movie depth and and, and makes things really great. And so I think we need to intentionally take a step back in our lives, evaluate, take an inventory of our life and see where we may regularly be selfish rather than selfless. What relationships do you and I constantly always get our way? I think if we do that, if we take a step back, we'll see maybe some areas where we can work on and maybe some really specific relationships we can work on, but we've got to step back. I think it's so easy, folks, sometimes to just do life and it passes us by. And So we've got to be intentional to take a step back, evaluate, and see maybe where we need to work on this. So that's the first thing, take a step back. Second thing is ask for help. Ask for help. Ask a mentor, uh, uh, an accountability partner, a friend, a spouse, um, and uh, the people that know us the best oftentimes are the ones that can point out, uh, which doesn't feel awesome sometimes, but can point out our biggest flaws because they know us well. And so they can see maybe areas where we're, being, we're furthering being selfish, or, or maybe um, they, uh, they can actually be there when we fail and help pick us up but ask for help, I know for me, um, when I actually share with Leah or I share with my accountability partner, like, hey, I really want to get better at this thing. I, I want to improve. How many of you know that I often, more often can actually accomplish that? Because I shared that with somebody else. I, we wrote that down as a goal. And they're checking in with me. And so I think we need to do the same. I think we need to ask for help. And I think if we do those two things, take a step back, ask for help, I think that we can move the needle. I think we can be better than we were yesterday, be better next week than we were last week. And it will always be a struggle because we have sinful tendencies, but ultimately we can see improvement. And so that's the first thing a bond like David and Jonathan takes on selflessness. Uh, Like I mentioned uh, right now, Aaron Simpson's going to come up and give us point number two. And as we switch the microphones, I am going to give you point two so you can write this in on your handout. Uh, Point two is this. A bond like David and Jonathan takes third-party involvement. Third-party involvement. If you notice that picture there, right, the stool does not have a third leg, right, and it's fallen over. So third-party involvement. Why don't you guys give Aaron a big round of applause this morning?
1: Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Ah, there we go. Everybody's still with us. Good, good. So, like Matt said, I'm Aaron Simpson. For those of you who were here last week, yes, I am married to Josh Simpson. He is the much kinder one of the two of us. So, we're going to go ahead and dive right in. So, if we go back to 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel 18.1, we see that after David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. So I don't know about you guys, but I don't know that I have ever heard somebody talking to someone else and said, man, I want to be their friend, simply because they were talking to somebody else. They hadn't even really met yet. They didn't have like a slumber party or met somewhere, been out to dinner and had a conversation and been like, hey, we have a lot in common. Let's be friends. He simply heard David talking to his dad and they became one in spirit. Man, if that's not God intervening, who finds that remarkable though? In full disclosure, I'm not a great friend. I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't have the whole friend thing down. Sometimes, right, i got to look and see who's in this room so that they don't get offended. Sometimes I put reminders in my phone that are like, hey, check in on this person on Thursday of this day because I'm not a good friend, and I wouldn't remember that they had something big happening that day without putting the reminder in my phone. So with that, here we see, though, that it says that Jonathan became one in spirit with David. I can't even fathom that. I cannot fathom. Some translations say that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. So I kind of get that as being a parent to four kids. Like, I can see that with them. But they came from me. Like, they are literally a part of me. I can even see it with Josh, right? I'm married to him. And so, like, the two become one, we're knit together. But to see that as a friend, it's unfathomable for me to really look at that and be like, that is an incredible extent to which Jonathan cared for David. As Matt shared, at this point, David had been chosen by Saul, right? He didn't even go back home. He's taken off of the battlefield after just defeating Goliath that nobody else wanted to go up against. And if you you don't know, which I didn't really know at what like how old is David at this point? Scholars put David as being a teenager. If any of you have teenagers, you're going to understand that. Those of you that don't but have been around teenagers, you're going to understand this. And if you really are like man, I can't connect with that. Let me know after service and I have teenagers you can borrow <laughs> so that you'll you'll be able to know this part. Teenagers are always going through something different. Always. They are like it's like this constant time in their life that they are changing and molding and trying to figure out who they are. Most of them go through like this awkward phase, you know. I have all boys, so I enjoy making fun of the voice cracks that happen as they go through the change. And so here's David, a teenager, being taken right after beating Goliath and taken into someone else's home, not even allowed to go back home. If we remember in this story where David comes from, he had come from the sheep field He was tending the sheep before he goes and defeats Goliath. Let me tell you a few things. I don't know any shepherds personally, but I know some farmers. One, they don't smell very good when they just come in from working out in the fields. Two, being a boy and having just conquered Goliath, right? When my boys are in competition or are fighting with each other, they sweat a lot. They Are gross okay they're sweaty they're smelly this is how David is appearing and now he's in the king's house he's in the king's palace and I have to imagine then he's not dressed for the occasion he had no idea that this is what was going to lead to and the world then if we look at what Jonathan does right why is Jonathan okay with David coming in? This smelly, gross kid coming in to his home. The world's going to tell Jonathan, man, he's a threat to you. Don't let him stay here. The world's going to tell Jonathan, that's not your friend. That's your enemy. The, world, the world's going to whisper to Jonathan, and it's going to say, David, let your dad kill him. Let your dad do those things. Then you don't lose anything. Jonathan though, Jonathan doesn't hear the world's voice because Jonathan has a relationship with God. So he hears God's voice. And so instead of listening to the world at all, if we look at verse 4, not only does he not listen to the world, he takes It says, Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing. He takes off the robe. He gives it to David, but he doesn't stop there. He also gives him his tunic, his sword, his bow, and his belt. If we look at that, Jonathan gives David every symbol that he has of his status of his rightful place. And he says here, it is yours now. It is yours for the taking. He makes David presentable now to be able to go before the king, to be able to be in the presence of the court. That is how much Jonathan cares for David. He's not willing to let his friend go Right? How many of us, I think there's even like a device now where like you can take a selfie of yourself, like you can just tell it to take your picture so that then you can send it to your friends and be like, do I look okay? Does this match all right? Which shoe looks better? Right? And they didn't have that then. And meanwhile, here's Jonathan saying, man, David, I'm going to make you look good. You are going to be ready. Over and over again, we see this. We see Jonathan choosing God first. Which then opens the door to love as a default. At every turn, Jonathan loves as a default. When we are fully immersed in what God is doing every day, only then can we truly cheer others on. Man, that's what I want. That's what we all should want. But it's not easy. It's incredibly hard it's incredibly hard for us to do. It's hard for me to cheer for my colleague when they get the promotion that I wanted. It's hard for me to cheer on another kid when they get the position that my kid wanted. But yet, I want to be the person that's able to cheer for other moms. I wanna be the person that's able to cheer for other dads and for grandparents I want to be able to cheer for those people that are different than me. I want to be able to cheer for families that are coming together. I want to choose God and others even when it comes at a great cost to me. But I know that I can only do that when God's involved. We can only do that when God's involved. I need to choose God and others even when it comes at a great cost to me. It's what we're called to do anyway. If we look at scripture, 1 John 4.4 4 says, Little children, you are from God and an overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. John 15.19, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world... I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And John 3.30, which is one of my favorite scriptures of all time, says, he must become greater and I must become less. This was actually one of the sayings that we had in college and we actually broke it down to look like this. He has to become greater and I have to become less. He has to increase and the only way that he can increase is if I decrease. There's not room for both of us. I can't have myself first and God first too. There's only one first place. Jonathan didn't look like the world because he wasn't looking to the world for his guidance. Thankfully for me, I was able to have a friend like that who wasn't looking to the world for guidance. Instead, she was looking to God. To let you guys in on a little bit of who I used to be, I wasn't a great kid. No, seriously. I was like what they would call today as being a bully. I I really, I chose people that I liked and didn't like and the people that I didn't like, they knew I didn't like them, right? That's not something that I stand up here proud to say or anything. It was just the reality of who I was and who I had become over the course of life. So in junior high and high school, I just wasn't a great kid. For those of you that don't know, Matt and I actually went to high school together, so he, he knows some of that and, oh, yeah, I and can, and can <laughs> attest with some of it. So, But thankfully, God put this person in my life. Her name was Tracy. The way that Tracy and I met is completely a God thing, but at the time, I had no idea that it was. So in eighth grade, eighth graders go on a trip to Washington, D.C., and how it's set up is that you have to have four people to a room, right? There's two, two beds, two people in each bed. My room only had three, and Tracy's room only had two. So the school split her and the other girl. I don't even remember who she was rooming with, but they split them up, and one of them came to our room, and as God would have it, he put Tracy in our room. Remember, I wasn't a kind person, okay? Let's, let's just remember that as this story unfolds. So for the first three days of the trip, if you can think back to when you were an eighth grader, right? Everybody think about what they looked like in eighth grade. Go, go back to your eighth grade year. You're, you know, everybody's kind of still feeling it out, trying to figure out who they were. So myself and my two friends... We didn't talk to her for the first three days. So, right? I heard an, oh my gosh, right? I know, I know. I was not kind. So the first three days go by. Can you imagine what Tracy went through in those three days? She's in a hotel room, in a city, visiting it and stuff, and she's not being talked to. Yeah, that was terrible. Finally, on like Thursday and Friday... She starts to make her way in a little bit. She's still not necessarily a part of our group, but, I mean, we weren't ignoring her anymore, right? I wouldn't call us friends, but we were, like, we we had some pictures together. We did things like that. So now we get to high school. We have a couple classes together. I mean, she's always very kind, very sweet, always says hi, things like that. It was fine. And then something happened in my life where I was having just a terrible day. A terrible day. And she came, and she's like, hey, do do you want to go somewhere and talk? And me, not being a kind person, I was like, no. No, not at all. I'm good. Thanks, though. She followed up later in the afternoon, and she's like, hey, after school, do you just want to go out to my car and, and talk? And I was like, you're okay? Like, all right we can go out to your car and talk. So at the end of the conversation, after Tracy asked some pivotal questions to get me to open up and stuff, she then was like, hey, I need to pray for you. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm like, you know, I don't, I don't really do that anymore. To let you know, I did grow up in church. Um, but my, the way that we grew up was we went to church on Sunday morning and we were the van that like, we were yelling at each other as we pulled into the parking lot. But then as soon as we got out, we were like, oh, good morning, Maria. It is great to see you. <laughs> oh, yes, Jim, the sun is shining. It's a glorious day to be going to God's house. That that was my family. And so we were like the, the good Sunday morning Christians, but then the rest of the week it was whatever we wanted to do, we did. And so for Tracy to be like, hey, let me pray for you, I was like, okay. But just so you know, like God and I aren't exactly there, so... You do what you feel like you need to do, and I'll, I'll sit here and let you do your thing. So she did, and that, honestly, is how what she called car chats began. So freshman year, sophomore year, and partway through junior year, I had a friend in Tracy that was willing to go out to the parking lot and sit with me and listen to what was happening, even though I wouldn't sit with her at lunch even though I didn't talk to her in the classes that we had together, even though I didn't invite her to parties, even though we didn't hang out with the same friends. The world would have told Tracy, she is not worth your time. She is using you, and you need to walk away. But Tracy wasn't listening to the world, thankfully, because I don't know where I would be today, had she been. Had Tracy not showed me that there was a difference in Christianity, that there was a different way to live, Tracy didn't just go to church on Sunday morning and leave it at the door. Tracy lived it out every time that she was willing to go and sit in her car and listen to me and pray with me and pray for me. You can go ahead and put the picture of Tracy and I up. Tracy and I actually ended up going on our senior year, senior, our spring break trip together. We were in each other's weddings. We've sent gifts when each of us have had children. And we're still in each other's lives at different points. We don't live close by each other anymore. But whenever we connect, man, it's like no time has passed. Because she put God first. And by putting God first, she was able to reach out To a kid that was pretty messed up, just like Jonathan did. Jonathan put God first, and as a result, he was able to reach out to David. He was able to be the friend that David needed at a time when everything in life was changing. He didn't go home to his family, he had a new family now. He was now being put in charge of an army. Man, by putting God greater, Tracy opened a door for me that I didn't even know was there. By Jonathan putting God greater, he created a friendship with David that lasted a lifetime. He saved David's life. By making God greater, we're relying on a hope and freedom that he gives to each one of us And wants to give to the people that he has brought into our lives. Jonathan's dad wanted to kill David. They didn't have an easy friendship. They had so much going against them. But yet, and it's a big yet, they knew that what God wanted for each of them was so much greater. And they trusted that. They had to trust that. They didn't have social media to be able to check up on one another. They weren't able to say, Oh, hey, it looks like they're doing great. Oh, look, David got married again. Look, David's doing this. Oh, that's too bad. This happened in Jonathan's life, right? They couldn't DM each other to find out what was happening. They had to trust that their friendship that they had shared that they were brought together because of what God had for them. So I want to invite you guys to stand. I want to invite the worship team up. And as we sing this next song of Be Thou My Vision, if we can sing it and want God's vision for our friendship, to be able to see people through his eyes,
0: as the worship team gets set, let me just pray for you. So God, I pray that as we sing, that it's not just singing, but it's communication with you. God, that you would, as this is responsive worship, time for us to connect with you in response to maybe what you've been doing or what we've been hearing from you, God, that your voice would be loud. That you would take now some of the things that we've heard over the last several minutes and just cement them into our soul as we head into our prayer time this morning and it's in jesus name we pray amen